0: Welcome to another episode of Overlooked Giants. I am Asati Nu, and in this episode, I'm meeting with comedian and humor educator Karen Williams. She is a grand prize a beautiful, intelligent, intuitive, and all around funny woman. It was truly a treat for me to have an opportunity to share time with her and, most importantly, to share in laughter. The first out black lesbian comedian in the US and serving as a star entertainer with Olivia Travel, Karen has paved the way for lesbian comics all over the world. And she has helped numerous others through her Haha ha Institute, which focuses on humor and healing. This conversation with her reminded me of the power of peace within, the power of laughter, and how important it is to have community and friends that support you. I am so glad to have her as part of my community, and I'm positive that you will walk away with some healing laughter for yourself in listening.
1: I am Karen Williams, uh, born in Manhattan, raised in the Bronx. So uh, I act like that's my claim to fame—like I invented Manhattan. I did not, uh, or, or the Bronx. You know, the Bronx. It's so funny. I went to the Michigan Women's Music Festival a few years ago. And, you know, uh, there's women from all over the country and there were a lot of New Yorkers. And so I walk up and I got friends from Fort Greene and Brooklyn and everything and, they, and they're and naming where they're from and I go, Soundview. And a little hush falls over, cause Soundview in the Bronx was like the baddest project. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> so look, look. Soundview, huh. you know, like I'm bad. <laughs> My friend with me said, I've never seen people introduce themselves by their housing development. <laughs> but that's, that's how we do it in New York, you know? Right. It's like, you know? Right. So there's, there's that. I'm, so I'm a native New Yorker, um, went to school in New York, skipped two grades, the third grade and the eighth grade. One of those really smart kids was in high school by the time I was 13 and. And uh, went to the Bronx High School of Science, and you know, during all of that "make love, not war" kind of era, my dad owned uh, boutiques in in um, in Greenwich Village. I was exposed to all of that, you know, living in the Bronx with my mom, and you know, the oldest of six kids, and and just had like this really exciting kind of crazy upbringing. You know, my parents had me when they were 18. So I'm 12 and I'm looking at them and they're 30. And I'm like, oh no, I'm on my own. I, I know I'm going to have to figure this out. Like, Y'all are nice, but you, you ain't much guidance and wisdom or cash flow really coming this way. So, so let me figure this stuff out for myself. Okay. So yeah. So school has became like my My thing, and of course, life happened. You know, I have uh, just that kind of grade B, you know, movie background that you know, here I was, and life was starting to go on the decline. But you know, my good fortune I had good fortune in two areas. Uh, My dad became a Buddhist when I was about 18 years old, he introduced all of us to Buddhism, I grabbed hold of it. I'm now, I'm almost 50 year Buddhist. Mm. And, and the other thing is I found out about uh, therapy. Mm. (laughs) So so between, you know, Buddhism, you know, loving myself and you and therapy, learning how to take care of myself and thereby benefit you. um, I've been able to come through a lot turn things around. Definitely the person that uh, makes lemon sorbet out of lemons, you know? Delicious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like the other day. Okay. So I'm going to the store. Well, there's a custard shop down here and I go down to get like a custard or something. And it's like 15 people in line, no masks. They're like, they're distancing, but the children are running in between us. And I go, Oh no, so I go home, I take two bananas, a mango, some pineapple, what else did I put in there? And some fresh squeezed oranges Mm -hmm. with ice, made sorbet, put it in my freezer. Hour later, I'm on my couch eating, (laughs) I even put some protein in it, vanilla flavored protein. Okay. You're not getting that at the ice cream store. Right, right. I still have some in the freezer. I'm like, (laughs) I like being that person. I am, you know, I'm probably that last generation. We're the ones that had to take home economics. Mm. I can sew, crochet. I know what tatting is. I can make you a a skirt and I can make you a (laughs) potholder. You know, We are resourceful, so people are here. Look look, I don't really like my hair straight, but it was driving me crazy. So I had to. I did my hair. I can do my makeup. I can do my nails. Right. I can right. get myself a pedicure. I don't have to go out here. Right. And have you do all of that for me? Right. Right. And so, especially having children, when my children were young and I was so poor as a secretary, I raised them as vegetarians. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. You're you're a lot younger than me, but in Oakland, there used to be. Do you remember Lois the Pie Queen? Yes. Yep, I do. So (laughs) I lived on Shattuck. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Right around the the corner from Lois the Pie Queen. So my son went there every Sunday. Lois would be there. Baby, (laughs) your mama ain't giving you no meat. (laughs) He got a he got two eggs, pancakes. Bacon, sausage. Wow! Oh yeah, and and a chop if she felt like putting it on his plate. You know, that's where he went every Sunday morning. Hey, your mama ain't giving you no meat.
0: Yeah, yeah. Those biscuits, though. I'm gonna tell you, I miss those. Biscuits. And the
1: biscuits, right? <laughs> those biscuits. <laughs> like they say, make you want to slap your mama. Right? Exactly.
0: Those biscuits Ooh. are the real
1: deal, man. So yeah, yeah. and so you know. Uh, so I started doing comedy. Really, you know, it was one of those, you know, just prayerful moments. I was living in, at that point in Berkeley, South Berkeley, Ashby and Sacramento.
0: Okay. All right.
1: And looking out the window, I'm living in an eightplex <laughs> that everybody there has been robbed but me because oh. the lady downstairs, instead of saying that I practice Buddhism... She told everybody I practiced voodooism. So no. Yes. <laughs> and I let that sit. Okay. Yep. Nobody bothered me or my kids. Right. <laughs> and I was like, how am I going to get my kids out of here? And how am I going to see the world? Mm-hmm. And I just started laying just very heavy prayers from that moment on my chanting and all of that. Turns out we moved over to Kentfield in Marin. hmm And then Judy DeLugach and Jill Cruz from Olivia Travel, I had started doing comedy around, but they came and saw me at the Great American Music Hall. Mm. And when they saw me, they invited me on my first Olivia Cruz, 1990. So I've been with them since 1990. I have been all around the world.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: So uh, and you know and other gigs as well. I've done the the Mardi Gras down in Sydney. I was there for a month. I did twenty shows at the Belvoir Street Theatre. I've done the Just for Laughs Festival up in Montreal. I've been I've been to Holland. I've been all over the world performing. It's mm-hmm. been really a divine pleasure. And I am the first out black lesbian comic in the United States. Now that you know i performed with Marsha Warfield. Wanda Sykes had me come out to LA to when she was doing Last Comic Standing. Mm, She had me come and do something, but I think that they wanted uh, a, a newer comic, not a veteran comic. So, but I know everybody. I know Whoopi, I know everybody. And so there's times when I have felt like a little less, acknowledge or less seen than those names, I would never take away from them. Wanda Sykes won the American Comedy Award. I mean she's her 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 career is bona fide, certified. There's nobody like Whoopi. But well, Whoopi's not a stand-up, by the way. She's a character actress. You know, so I've just really had to realize that as soon as you tuck the word lesbian in, here comes being the marginalization. Right. I'm gonna be marginalized. Right. And so I just have to be confident. You see behind me the poster for Laughing Matters. That uh-huh. was uh, um, I just did something for Andrea Meyerson, so i had that poster up. She's the one that filmed that. That was her very first film. She's now done like 30 films, you know. This is me with uh this is this is my setup. This is me with um uh my 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 girl gets upset. Michelle Obama's all around my house because I got <laughs> pictures of her everywhere. People come over, they go, Do I have to see Michelle Obama everywhere I go? Yes. 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 That's letting you know there's a standard around here. Right. You can't come up in here trying to be grade D up in right. here. Okay. Right. So you know, but that came through Olivia. Judy mm. DeLuca, the president, was talking to me one day. She said the gay men are representing. They're represented. We're not at the table, right? So she created these lesbian round tables, and I got to go to a couple of them, mm-hmm. you know. And that kind of stuff. I'm looking right here across from me, Maxine Waters, my girl over there. You know, right. people send me pictures and stuff. You know, my brother and I were just talking about how we need to get black people to vote, we have to right. vote, right? We people died for this, yeah, yeah. My grandmother's from Barbados. She spent her 20s till she died in her 90s working for voter registration. Mm. You know, this is real what we're dealing with right now, you know. And so I feel fortunate that I've been able to find a vehicle that allows me to bring joy into people's lives, facilitates a lot of healing, facilitated a lot of my own personal healing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm no different than anybody else who's born with brown skin and is just angry because right. the way you right. get treated.
2: Right.
1: You know, right. just angry, you know. And what do you do with all that anger mm-hmm. if you don't find some way to bona fide, certified things to be angry about? Nobody's saying that. Uh. And then on the other side, how to, I've become like the guru of the healing power of humor. And that's how I want to be known. I've had my HaHa Institute since 1988. Um, I was in San Francisco during the AIDS pandemic. I did uh, an AIDS conference in Las Vegas. The person asked me, uh, can you do a workshop? And I said, yes. Came up with the most, you know, rudimentary human healing workshop, and then went on and developed it. Right. Went right. back to school in my forties and wrote my personally designed major in human healing. Mm-hmm. I have a master's degree in adult learning and development for curriculum design.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, in August first, I'm going to Miami University on a tuition paid doctorate program. I say. Yeah. I'll be, yeah. it's in social gerontology and I'll be 68. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That is wonderful. That so is... everybody there will be 28. Right. <laughs> they don't know about the, they don't know about being on the phone like I was for five hours trying to get through to social security. Right. <laughs> Another two hours for Medicare. Right. You know, right. it's all theory to them. I'm living it. Right. You know, right. mostly uh, the the degree, has a a emphasis in gender studies. Uh, So I want to look at what happens to lesbians as we age along the continuum Mm -hmm. and specifically what happens to black lesbians. Right, right. And what better time? Because before this, we weren't even out. Right, yep. How would Uh, I be able... So Judy Mm DeLugach from Olivia Travel has said, if you want to do population surveys and stuff like that, I mean, I have a wealth of lesbians that I can access. So it's just another part of work for me that feels really vital. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited about it. It can only enhance my comedy. Right. You know? Right. And uh, I just can't tell you how excited I am at this age and stage when people are starting to Quite frankly, you're in the Midwest like me. From 52 on, they're trying to retire and die.
0: Yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying. Sit on the front porch and
1: that's oh, it yeah, please, yeah. Sit on their front Talk porch. Talk about and boy you to death. Talking about how it used to be.
0: Right, right. Rather than doing something. Oh. <laughs> yeah so in your you you've talked about um, your discovery of therapy, which I think is extremely important, especially as a black woman because I feel like especially in the black community that is so frowned upon, stigmatized it shows yeah. that it's a fo- some form of weakness, right or that yeah. you know if you just take it to the Lord in prayer, that's all you need. You don't need to talk to anybody else about it. and so I think that it is. I always find it interesting um, in listening to people's stories around how it is that they were able to move past that stigma and really to understand the importance of being able to have that outlet for healing. So at what point did it really click for you that this isn't, you know, it doesn't make me crazy. It doesn't mean I need to be in a loony bin. This is really just for my own healing.
1: Oh, Let's see, how old was I? Um, I was uh probably. I mean, I was young, like probably twenty-one, maybe. Mm. Um, married already. Uh, have a baby, and living a couple of blocks from the University of Connecticut in Bridgeport. Well, it was the University of Bridgeport. I went to UConn for a, a year. Um, University of Bridgeport in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And I was walking by and I saw the sign. It said counseling office. Mm. And for some reason, I walked up there and I said, is the counseling just for students?
2: Mm.
1: And they said, no. I said, I'd I'd like to get some counseling. Uh And I started going over there yeah,
2: yeah.
1: and talking about my upbringing and just, uh, you know, you know, getting that stuff out, you know, like, you know, I had my parents, I had, like I said, teenage parents. It wasn't that they were doing anything particularly wrong because I had a lot of care,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and a lot of freedom. It took me, many years to realize how much freedom I had. Mm -hmm. And also I wasn't raised in the church.
2: Right. Okay.
1: So I wasn't looking outside myself per se. I didn't view things as this is God's will. I didn't have a lot of that going on. So I think that the counseling and it really became more like therapy was my first introduction to maybe cause and effect. Like maybe there's some relationship there that I can take responsibility for. Right, right. And I think that's when I'm... And then I also took some at the college, I took some psychodrama classes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tend to be very empathic. I've always been very deeply feeling and all of that. So those kinds of, that kind of exposure... Led me to realize how I process information, right. how I take things in. It gave me a very strong sense of myself, and I think that that's what a lot of people are missing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can become so wrapped up. My whole family is like this. We're very the children. We're all very kind people. There's nothing wrong with kindness, and and yet you have to have consciousness as well, right? Right. Those old, a lot of those old things that black people would say, don't cast pearls before swine. It sounds like you're putting something down. But if you really look at those statements or people do mistake kindness for weakness.
2: Right, right.
1: People do get out here and it's a lot of predator and prey. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I think sometimes we don't want to really look at that.
2: Right, right.
1: And, uh, but I think that we have a responsibility, for instance, even when I do some workshops with girls, young girls, I've started telling them about the power of their voice. Mm -hmm. It may not stop the action, but you have every right to say, don't touch me. Right. Because the voice will automatically repel. Mm -hmm. And then that person knows that you're conscious. You're in there.
2: Right. Right.
1: You're not the other, that they can just do something to. And that's what we suffer from a lot in this society. You know, I read something the other day where, you probably read it too, coming down Facebook, where you have to tell people, if Thomas Jefferson was 44 and Sally Hemings was 14, Mm -hmm. he raped her, she had six children by him, it was not a love story. No, it was not. She was his property. Mm -hmm. we have to come out of these fantasies about what's going on, you know? And so I think that, and I had an active fantasy life, you know, I think in some ways to help me cope with some of the things that would just go on around us in general. I think that's why people like fantasy.
2: Right, right.
1: You know, it's it's not easy to be fully cognitive and conscious at Mm -hmm. all times.
0: No, it's, it's, it's not. <laughs> but I think that's part of the, the walk is it's to, to challenging
1: try now. to continue to do that. Right. So for me, my personality, which is very different now when I was younger, was very heavy. Mm. Very heavy because I didn't know how, I was not as humorous as I am now. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to lighten the load because it is a heavy psychic load when you realize you're here, you're here for a reason, you're not just here to suffer. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We're here to serve. How do you navigate all of that in a brown woman's body Mm -hmm. who's queer, you know? Right. Oh, it's a lot. It's an awful, awful lot. And the fact that people don't think we need help along the journey, I just don't get that. (laughs) Right, right, right. I'm going to take a nap when this is over.
0: (laughs) Because it's important. (laughs) Naps are
2: important.
1: I just want to put that out there. (laughs) They are are very important. important. (laughs) I nap. My my friend says, boy, you sure sleep a lot. I'm napping. This is a lot of psychic energy that I'm putting out here, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, the self-care, the self-care piece they they don't and then my my cousin Sadique Nia is uh one of those you know my son's father was like one of the first people in 1970 to you know demand reparations from the United States government it means he never really worked after that you know broken down today but there were young people fighting for this. But now my cousin called me just last week. Cuz, cuz. They, they can't just give black people a check. They can't just <laughs> give us a check. <laughs> we got to get some counseling. We got to have some mental right. health right. counseling. We got to have some financial
0: counseling. Right. Yes. Which, yeah, man, yes. <laughs> that part right you
1: there. You can't just give us a check. We'll be dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know so I said, calm down, brother. It's okay. It's not nineteen seventy. <laughs> A lot of us do know that since nineteen seventy's been fifty years, we need to talk with someone right, right. You know we might need to check in all the diagnoses. i I went through all of that stuff on the inside while they were diagnosing my son and all that other kind of stuff. but I did what I could, right diet. I have a, 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 I have a lot of cookbooks, but I even have a cookbook, you know, how to prepare meals for your ADHD kid. They don't need dairy. And long before gluten-free, they don't need wheat.
2: Right, right. They
1: certainly don't need all that sugar.
2: Right, right.
1: But there's, you know, we have to take responsibility for what goes on in our life today, too. And it's not easy. If there's still people alive that can say, I'm the granddaughter of slaves. Mm -hmm. We also need to be kinder to each other. I had somebody say to me one time, you have a slave mentality. And I took real offense. I was a business owner. I was, what are you? But then I I realized you're accusing me of something. We're all in this together. It's going to take some generational healing for us to be completely free Mm -hmm. of the bondage that had to take place in here for us to even—can you imagine? Sometimes I try to imagine. Like, I've never been to um, any of the, um, like, President Obama took his children to where like slaves were held. Oh yeah. Before yeah. they okay when they came here, or or I've never been to a cabin. Right. Right. Do you realize that in my mind? I did not realize people were sleeping on the floor. Mm. Something as basic as that. Like in my mind, I knew they had like pallets. Right. Right. Or mattresses on the floor, maybe. But really in my mind, I thought it was a bed and a cook stove and...
0: Right, right. You know
1: what I'm trying to say? Because
0: oftentimes it it is even portrayed in some of the the media that we watch. You know, in a lot of the movies, we look at these cabins. And, you know, even in that the conditions are wild, deplorable, they're still kind of, they're still portrayed as something that is livable. Right?
1: Livable. Right. It did not occur to me that you'd come in and you don't have water to wash. Mm -hmm. Or I saw this thing. You know, somebody was at one of those um, rallies. A white woman looked like a regular, ordinary white lady you'd see somewhere, and had a sign that said, "They didn't want to wear masks. Muzzles are for dogs and slaves." Hmm. And had a black woman's face there with that horrible muzzle where they could only drool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time I saw that just in a picture i was upset for 2 days
2: mm-hmm.
1: cuz i got a mouth i would have been drooling out of some shit okay
2: right. Ah! <laughs> right right
0: right so in your in in the process of because i know even in terms of your education and the institute and even you know the the work that you do and the different shows that you do um particularly when you're, when you're having conversations with uh, queer women of color, however it is that they identify, um, versus, especially in terms of older queer women of color, do you see where there is still sort of like this stifled um, mentality around really being free in who you are?
1: I think that I see less of it when people are more economically free. Mm. I think because I've had the opportunity to be on Olivia Travel, which in its very beginning could only have maybe women who are more well off than others. Right. Now, you know, I tease them. I said, you got the payment plan, some down, low down, no down or, you know. so, (laughs) So the sisters can plan for a year, baby. Right, twenty twenty two. we going on that cruise (laughs) we're doing it yeah (laughs) you know they laugh but I think because I have a chance to sometimes be around and then the women my age who let's say like a lot of my good friends who worked in their jobs for 30 40 years right and they, they got their pensions and they own a home and stuff like that their sense of freedom to me is very much tied into their economic Mm. capacity. And everything I've been reading is saying that's the truth. Right. That that I'm reading uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, and this was his last book, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community? Mm -hmm. And it's all about us economically. Right, right. There's just no getting past that. Right. And I think for all those years that I was a struggling artist and very, very poor, it affected my, uh, it affected that that, that sense of, of, of freedom that I have now. I'm not upper class. I'm not even really middle class. But I manage, somebody told me a long time ago, wealth is managing your resources well. Right. And i manage because there's no number that says you're wealthy, right? Right. So I manage my resources well enough to give me a sense that I can work on other things Mm -hmm. other than my pure survival.
2: Right, right.
1: And in that, I think that's what... I see across my generation a little bit more, the ones who don't feel that way, who maybe become ill or have more need for medical, Mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that. It definitely affects how you move in the world.
2: Right, right.
1: What I'm really loving, which I was just talking to my brother, somebody said to him, well, are you gonna go out there and protest and all this?" And my brother said, Mm -hmm. no, I'm not. I'm gonna support from here. Because it's very important that younger people go for what they want. Right. I'm not going to automatically assume that you want what I want. Right. Right. It's it's different. Even that you say your partner and you are raising a child is very different than me raising my children by myself. Right. It's, it's, it's. and, And I tell everybody, single parenthood sucks. Not not because it's sucky in and of itself. If you're, if you're, ten, when, you're ten, when your child was learning to tie its shoe, you could say to your partner, baby, look. Right. He's tying his shoe. I don't see what I'm saying. I don't mean yeah. it just from a negative thing. I didn't have anybody to share even the good things with. Right. right. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah.
1: I think all of that, all of that, um the myth of the strong single black woman all of that stuff I mean people get weighed down with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's too much
0: Now in the context of being the you mentioned the strong black woman cuz that is something that I've heard even coming up since forever that that's yes. got to be that's what you got to do Right uh, along your path in your career um, do you feel like you've always had to have up that wall of being the strong Black woman, especially when you walk into a room of cis white men uh, who already have preconceived notions of who you are as a woman of color, just, you know, not even including the lesbian aspect, but mm-hmm. just as a, a, as a Black woman walking into the room, um, do you feel like you've always had to have on that armor? Uh, it, I, I'm
1: not around, you know, my, my life is very lesbian and gay. Okay. So most, um, I, I perform for lesbians. I do, when I'm with people who are cisgendered, it's usually in the context of me doing some kind of ha ha Institute workshop or something mm-hmm. like that. And since I'm being brought in, there's it's just a certain air right. that, right. you know, I don't really get subjected to on a, on a, uh, on that level. Professionally,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, as far as my personal way of being in the world, I think the main thing I learned from Oakland, in particular, was the power of that black lesbian sisterhood, Mm -hmm. and it's with me. It lives inside of me. So I have women I could cry to. I have women I can say, "This shit is hard. I do not feel like doing this." (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. And they'll be like, "Sis," you know come over here, Just, right. Right. let's right. go get some ice cream over <laughs> on in Piedmont, okay. Yeah. Right. And then I come back and I'm all like, okay, I can do it. Right. You know. Right. But I know the power of that sisterhood. I don't, I could not. I see some of the younger artists in particular really trying to go it alone and I try to take them aside if I can. I'll say, listen, you didn't ask me this but please get, get you some friends, some, some people you can, a community. See, we know the importance of community. Right. I don't, I don't really do things out of community. Now, granted, I face a lot on my own. There have been times in the 30, I've been performing now 37 years that I felt like, Oh, there was sometimes like, Oh, I do not want to be the only black person here right now. Right. 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 And yet deep down inside, I felt like if I'm not here, then we're not here. Mm-hmm. So that kept me going, mm-hmm. you know. And then as you know, then when other Black people start showing up, then you got to deal with your own internalized shit.
0: Right, right. Yes. Now, where
1: where did sister come from? What? <laughs> Do you not know been here? Where you come from? What? You know. <laughs> right, right, right. it never stops yes yeah it never fucking stops yeah you know if you want to grow if you want to be conscious if you want to be contributive which i do Mm -hmm. if i if i didn't care you know i i I can't imagine it you know because i can't even name people that don't care i'm around people that care you know about who we are and what we represent and and our, that our voices are heard, you know? Right, it's important right, stuff.
2: Right.
0: So um, if you could just tell me uh, in terms of your your own, and if you don't mind talking about it, your own personal life, when what was your first sort of recognition that you were a lesbian woman?
1: A lesbian, Ooh. Well, I I just recently did a show and I said I was born with a little L at the bottom of my belly. Um, <laughs> okay. But I I just told my mother this. I remember being about 12 and looking up the word lesbian. Mm. And it said someone from Lesbos. So that didn't help me.
0: No, it did not. <laughs> it did not help you at all.
1: <laughs> Although I've been to Lesbos two or three times now with Olivia. but. Um, And then I had a, I I went to the prom in high school with a girl. It wasn't because we were out lesbians or anything. It was no guy had asked us. So we went together and then I had a girl, Judy Friedman, who used to give me lots of gifts. And I heard my mother on the phone with her one day saying, you don't have to give Karen all these gifts. And I was like, mom, what are you doing? I like, I like Judy's gifts. Right. You know, I didn't realize then I was just a gift ho. I thought, you know, so I was probably just, (laughs) I still like gifts. I just have to tell you. But uh, yeah, so I think it was by the time I was 15, my dad was living down in the village. He and my mom had separated. And my mom called my dad and said, I think Karen likes girls. Mm. And uh, my dad was like, okay. And that was it. And, you know, I I just put a thing on Facebook about him for Father's Day, and I realized that had my parents made more out of that than they did, maybe I wouldn't have been able to come out. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I wouldn't have felt comfortable loving a a woman. But at the time when my father and mother had separated, his next wife was a white woman Mm -hmm. that he was with for 48 years. Mm -hmm and i have uh, my younger sister is biracial from that from their marriage so I, I i i think what i internalized about that is that love just is it has no gen- gender specific gender no race
2: right right
1: you know it's just love and so maybe in my youth i was naive about that but that that really stuck with me Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 that has set me free.
2: Mm. Yes. Yeah.
0: So in your, in, in the process of you sort of making the, the decision to go and do that comedy. Right. And I know, uh, <laughs> I, I I know several comedians that are like, you know, you got to do five shows, you know, five days a week, two show, you know, whatever. And, and it's a lot of work and it is really taxing. Um, but in that process of your prayers and and knowing that you needed, you wanted something better for yourself or your children and you made that decision to do comedy. What was the thing that propelled you to say, I'm going to tell a joke about lesbianism. Like what, what was that? Where did the light bulb come on for you? That that was your material. That was your source.
1: Well, yeah, because when I first started, I was doing the Bay area black comedy competitions Mm. around, um, uh, at Jack London Square and around Oakland. So I wasn't doing uh, lesbian comedy. What set it off was Margaret Gomez. Oh, uh, yeah.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: We were at Ollie's, which was a woman's club there, doing some benefit for health. Uh, you know, we were, we were partying anyway. I would go out and see people. And she asked me to do the San Francisco Gay Day.
2: Oh, uh, okay.
1: And she said, well, you realize, I said, oh, sure, I'll do it. She said, well, you realize it's going to be in the papers. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. She said, you realize your name is going to be in the paper. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So I like use that and use those lesbian venues as my way to come out. Gotcha. Okay. And so because of that, I used some of my other material, but then I began sharing more about myself uh-huh. and about being lesbian. Yeah. Right. It was a very kind of almost natural, organic process mm-hmm. for me.
0: Do you think you were able to feel at ease in doing that because your family had already accepted who
1: you were and where you were? I think it was deeper than that. I think that my own tendency towards anger,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which I was getting guidance that through my Buddhist practice, I could turn that into a passion. I developed just this passion about sharing my life, oh. that I wasn't seeing any representations of my life anywhere,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that since I wasn't seeing it out there, it was up to me to do it, mm-hmm. Right, and right. that's that's where mm-hmm. I went with that, right. yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so I just got a few more questions for you and then we'll wrap up. My first question mm-hmm. is, and I, we've talked about your therapy. We've talked about self-care, but what is your definition of self-love?
1: Well, masturbating has something mm-hmm. to do with it. No, I'm just Important. <laughs> Important to survive um, if you ask me. Definition of self-love. Oh boy. Cause I really have been on that adventure of that of late. Hmm. I think it really boils down to taking time to really appreciate yourself. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Really take that. And and it happens throughout your life. I think it's different at different times, right? Mm -hmm. For me at this time in my life, it's to really have a deep appreciation for myself, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: my struggle, what I. I've done some amazing things, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I don't really in those moments, think that way.
2: Right,
1: It's just something else I'm doing, you know? But I think this pandemic, being isolated like this, sheltering in place, I am really able to, to, to take myself in, in a different way.
2: Right,
1: right. Um, go a little bit deeper than even the stories we tell ourselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's transforming everything for me right now. My relationship with my adult children is different because they're adults now. Yeah, yeah. With my parents, it's very different. I know how to show love now, but I don't invite you in anymore to abuse me. Mm, exactly. I, you know, I'm ha- I'm happy. I'm seeking out people. Friends, positive things, reading great books. Oh man, I am really enjoying myself. Right. We are so sold in this culture on having to be with someone. You mm-hmm. have to be with yourself. Yes, yes. You have to be with yourself. And then I think it enhances your other relationships, then. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. Even with your children, boy, your children. Oh, they will just suck it right out of you. Give me that. Yes,
0: yes Lord.
1: Yes. <laughs> Nothing left. Nothing left. And they'll get to be adults and walk right by you with a food bottle of water. Now you're sipping. <laughs> you're like Negro. Do you know what I did when you needed some water? Right. <laughs> right, right. Then
0: that's when you start telling the story. I walked up a hill with one shoe. You know, that's when all of
1: that
2: walk with
0: little
1: (laughs) shoes and all that. (laughs) because I start to feel like I got some of those stories in me too
0: right (laughs) exactly here Uh, so the last question that I have is if you were to offer experience to a queer woman of color any age who is trying to establish themselves in the arts and find their way uh what advice would you give them
1: be tenacious Mm -hmm. never give up believe in yourself uh work. Hmm. Work. Study, work, rehearse, practice, whatever your craft is. Just there are times here I have su- I watch myself. I get a huge disappointment, like not get a gig I really wanted, or you know, I've I've submitted for some things and I didn't get chosen or whatever. Or something in my personal life might happen that feels devastating in that moment and I turn my attention and I go back to work.
2: Hmm. Right. And
1: I had a I have a good friend and when we were young both artists and she said to me Karen will always have our work right. and that's just the truth there's yeah. there's just a the certain sense of when you value your own work it can carry you through
2: mm-hmm.
1: if you're always seeking that validation from outside then I I would not really call you an artist then. Mm -hmm. I think think those of us who are true artists are moved by something that's very deep inside. It doesn't have much to do with how much acclaim is nice, fame is nice, money's even nice. Mm -hmm. But I asked a friend recently, I said, can you tell when I have money and when I don't? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And she said, no. Mm
2: -hmm. It's
1: because I learned how to stabilize my life. Now I know... That when I have a little less money, I may not get the fourteen ninety nine coffee. I go back to Folgers or Cafe Bustello or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> but the point is, when you come to my house, you're still having coffee, right? Right. So that's why they nobody really notices. I learned how to so that so that because I I, re, I read a lot and and I realized that for women especially. So many women wrote their way out of economic bondage. Mm, yes. Writing has always been a tool for us to release ourselves and to. Irma Bombeck was the first syndicated writer because mm. she got 50 cents a column. Her husband was sick. She had four kids. Mm-hmm. She said, Oh, if I send this out to more newspapers, it was pure economics that we even know her name. Right. Right. That's what it is. That's what art is. I think it has the power to really lift us up and at the same time rescue us from that economic bondage. Right. Right.
0: Right. Well, Ashe, I certainly
1: appreciate you taking the time to meet with me. Well, thank you so much. I'm so happy to meet you.
0: I do hope you enjoyed listening to this interview with Karen. Please be sure to follow the links attached to the podcast for ways to connect with her and be sure to follow her on social media to find out what she's got going on. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes. Be well, be blessed.